Sarah and I have been watching uh, a TV show over the past few weeks. I don't know when exactly it was on. I think relatively recently, but we've been catching up on iPlayer. Um, it, it's called. It was called A Suitable Boy. It's um, it's been on the BBC. It was. It's based on a book, which unsurprisingly uh, Sarah has read, and equally unsurprisingly I have not. Um, and the the story follows. Um, a couple of families. Uh, it basically follows the, the story of two families. I have to be honest, I, I at times got slightly confused by who was in which family uh, and how they were quite connected. But, but it follows the story of two families um, living in India uh, just after the end of the kind of British Empire in India. Uh, so if you, if you know your history a little bit, then this is the kind of late 40s. Um, it, uh, the British Empire is withdrawn, India's been formed, Pakistan uh, has been formed out of India, uh, has been partitioned off. Uh, and central to the story is really, uh, I guess, what lies behind the creation of, of Pakistan is the, is the division between uh, the majority Hindu population in India and the minority Muslim population uh, that, re that remained in India following partition. Uh, and in one of the scenes, you have this scene where uh, two of the main characters uh, are out and there's a religious festival um, kind of going on, uh, um, kind of happening. And then the, um, the, the, the uh, a Muslim group and a Hindu group kind of come together in this religious uh, festival and there ends up being this riot. Um, uh, and it's incredibly violent and incredibly dangerous. And the two main characters, one of... Uh, two of the main characters, one of whom's a Hindu and the other one of whom's a Muslim, get kind of caught by this mob uh, of Hindus and they get attacked by them and they, they fight them off and then they start legging it and you've just got this scene of them just kind of running as fast as they can while this like, angry mob come after them and they get on trucks and they start driving after them and they're just, they're just trying to get away and trying to get to safety. Uh, and, and eventually they see the house of the, the Hindu member of, uh, of these two. Uh, they, see, they get to kind of the house of his family and they run in through the gate and they run in through the door uh, and they close the door uh, and they are saved. The mob will not come and enter, enter that house. So, so on the other side of the door, their lives were in imminent danger. And you thought, you know, I've never read the book, so I didn't know what's going to happen. Like, is the mob going to get them? Are they not? How does this, this end? On the other side of the door, there's imminent danger. But on this side of the door, they are safe. They're protected from those who are seeking to kill them. Now, now I want to start with that because that is the image you need to have in, uh, in your head if we're to understand what Jesus means when he describes himself as the gate. So we're in a series at the moment in, in John's gospel, looking at Jesus in his own words. And Jesus very specifically says certain things that he is. And he says these kind of grand statements of I am dot, dot, dot. So we looked at the bread of life uh, a couple of weeks ago. We looked at the light of the world uh, uh, last week. Um, uh, and here he describes himself as the gate. Now, I've got to be honest, of all the ways that Jesus describes himself, I, I probably find this one the oddest and in some ways the most underwhelming. You know, the others just sound so much weightier, don't they? They come with a whole host of biblical background. When Jesus says he's the bread of heaven, you know, the first century Jew has, has images of the bread that God provided for them in the Old Testament. And it's this bread that sustains them and brings them life. There's a whole load of kind of imagery and, and ideas that go with it. 
When he says that he's the light of the world, you've got the whole biblical background of the story of light and darkness being the story of, of God and his, his war against the forces of evil and the forces. And you've got, got huge kind of imagery in that. As we're going to see uh, later on this week, when he says he's the good shepherd, it's a phrase full of significance. It takes your mind back to Psalm 23 and places like that. They sound grand and impressive. They would have reminded those listening, listeners of some of the standout passages from the Old Testament. But I am the gate for the sheep does not do the same thing. It doesn't instantly conjure up a whole load of Old Testament images, nor does it create grand ideas in my imagination. And yet, actually what Jesus is saying when he says that is good news and it's good news for each one of us. So, so if there's a challenge for us this evening, if there's a challenge for you this evening, it's to, it's to get to a place where you know, no longer think, I am the gate for the sheep is an odd way for Jesus to describe himself. Get to a point where you go, I am the gate for the sheep. That is good news for me. That is news that I need to hear. Because it's news that we can be safe. It's news that we can truly belong somewhere. It's news that there is a place where we can flourish. Jesus is here saying that through him, we're able to be safe. We're able to find a good pasture. We're able to enjoy the full life we were created for. Because that's what a gate does, doesn't it? Like, like, like a gate allows someone to enter somewhere. So it allows us to enter the pasture, to find security, to find the nourishment and the acceptance we need. The gate keeps us safe in our pasture and it keeps those who would come to steal, kill and destroy, it keeps them out. That's kind of what a gate's there to do. You see, that's why Jesus is the gate, not the wall. I don't know, I don't know how you are at Lego, okay? I, I am like passable at Lego because it's quite straightforward and I'm 37. And so I think most 37 year olds should probably be passable at Lego. Um, and so I, I'm okay at Lego, but I, every now and again I make this mistake. I start building a house and I build the wall all the way around and I build it around and I get it nice and high and I put a roof on and I get it all nicely built. And then I go look down at it and I go, I haven't put a door in this. Like, how's anyone going to get in and out? And then because, because I'm passable at Lego, I've done the thing that you're meant to do, you know, where you cross over all the bits of Lego so that it, like, properly holds together. So that means that now I can't easily take a bit out to put a door in. So I have to, like, deconstruct it to, to get a door in. You see, that you need a door or else no one can get in. A wall keeps everyone out. But a gate can be used both to let people in and keep people out. That's sort of the point of a gate. If you didn't want to let some people in, then you just have a wall. And if you didn't want to keep some people out, you just have an empty space. You have a gate so that you can let some people in and so you can let some people, and so you can keep some people out. So when Jesus is describing himself as the gate, he's describing himself as the one who allows us to enter our home that place where we can find nourishment and security, that's how he describes it. But he's also describing himself as the one who keeps the forces of evil out. He's the one who keeps out those who would come to steal and kill and destroy. 
Now, as you look at Jesus' words here, I want to suggest that actually you see, you see something in these words, you see a truth that's actually not only central to Christianity, although I think it is that, it's not only central to our understanding of who Jesus is, which is what we're looking at through this series, I want to suggest it's central to how the world works. Uh, so, so regardless of who you are, what you believe uh, tonight, Jesus' words give us an insight to how the world works and how we live in it. You see, this passage, this section of uh, John, it is built around contrasts. So, so you have some contrasts in it. In a few minutes, we're going to see Jesus contrasting the shepherd and the hired hand. They're contrasted. They're kind of, the, the shepherd is like this. The hired hand is like this. You can see the difference. But here, in, this, in these first few verses, so in verses kind of 1 down to 10, there's a different contrast. And the contrast is between Jesus, who comes to bring life. That's where he kind of ends this in, in verse 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So you've got Jesus on the one hand who comes to bring life. And you've got these, these other forces that are called thieves and robbers who come to steal, kill and destroy. That's the contrast. Jesus comes to bring life. Other things come to steal, kill and destroy. I was, um, I was driving uh, today um, uh, uh, just for a little while, bringing, bringing my kids back. And, um, and I was listening to our, this year's holiday soundtrack. So every year I put together a soundtrack that's kind of our holiday soundtrack that we listen to as a family. Um, and I was listening through that. And one of the songs on our family uh, soundtrack this year is Wish You Were Here by Pink Floyd. Um, and so um, I, I was listening to that. And, and it starts um, with, with these words. It says, so you think you can tell heaven from hell, blue skies from pain. It goes on to kind of ask other questions. Um, but but those, are, those are interesting words because you'd think that the difference between heaven and hell are quite extreme and that you could tell. And you'd think that the difference between blue skies and pain are, are quite extreme and that you could tell. But what, what it puts its finger on, uh, the kind of the start of that song, in fact, the, the song as a whole, what it puts its finger on is that actually we're not always very good at recognising those things that will bring us life compared to those things that will bring us damage and destruction. Actually, sometimes we find it hard to distinguish between the two. And sometimes we get them entirely uh, muddled up. Sometimes we mistake hell for heaven. And we mistake blue sky for pain or pain for blue sky. The good news here is that Jesus tells us how we can recognise them. How can you recognise that which is there for your good to bring you life compared to that which is there to kill and destroy? Well, he spells it out in this. If you look at those verses, how do you recognise thieves and robbers? They don't enter by the gate. That's how you spot them. They don't enter by the gate. Now, now if the gate is Jesus, which he's just said it is, then, then that will radically impact where you think you will find the full life you are looking for. I don't know where you think you will find the fullness of life you long for. All of us are pinning our hopes on something there, maybe on a few things, but all of us have something that we think, this is the thing that is going to deliver the life that I want. 
Jesus says this. He says, everything that will bring you fullness of life is going to come through me. Everything that is going to bring you fullness of life is going to come through Jesus. Jesus is the source of everything good. So, so let, let, let's just uh, kind of flesh that out a bit. The loving relationships that you enjoy, which bring you joy and satisfaction in your life, they come through Jesus because he himself exists in loving relationships and created you to love and enjoy those. The forgiveness that you so desperately need to live a, a life free from the guilt, uh, which otherwise would weigh you down, that comes through Jesus who takes our guilt and takes our shame on himself on the cross. If you, everything good that comes to you in your life comes through Jesus because that is where fullness of life comes from. Good things. And by that I mean truly good things. Things which bring us joy, which build us up, which grow us, which develop us. They come through Jesus. But anything which does not come through Jesus, that is a thief and a robber. That doesn't come to bring you fullness of life. That comes to rob life from you. It comes to bring death and destruction, not to bring life and fullness of life. We must remember that because those things sometimes seem so appealing. They can look like heaven and turn out to be hell. They can look like blue skies, but bring only pain. I mean, really, that's the story of humanity. The story of humanity is us, is us mistaking heaven for hell. I mean, think, think about, so the, the Bible story begins with humanity living in paradise, in relationship with God in a perfect world with no pain, no suffering, no sickness. That's where it starts. And what happens is they see something that looks appealing to them, that looks like it looks like heaven. And they take it, and as they take it, as they reject God, they reject the source of goodness, and they've, they've, they, they, they bring death and destruction to the world. It looks like it's a good thing, but actually it's a thief and a robber. It doesn't come to bring life, it comes to take life. Now, that's the story of the, from, in the Bible, that's the story of the beginning of humanity. And that's, that's meant to paint the picture, picture of the state that humanity is in. We continually do that. And that, that's continually a challenge for us. So, so let me give you some examples. That, that lust which climbs over the wall, offering you a new and exciting sexual experience, that is rejecting what Jesus calls you to. It's ignoring what he says a good life looks like. It's rejecting his intention for you and for the world. And so it doesn't come through the gate. And ultimately, however good it might look, its intention is not to bring you a full life, but to bring you death and destruction. That love of money, which climbs over the wall and tells you how much better your life will be if you just pursue that more than Jesus. That's not coming through the gate. It's telling you, avoid the gate. Keep away from Jesus. It wants to distract you from Jesus. It wants you to replace Jesus with it. And therefore, it is a thief and a robber. It's come to steal much more than it can ever give. That job, which tells you how important it is, far more important than pursuing Jesus, than knowing him. That job, which climbs over the wall and says, live for me and put Jesus in the background. That's not coming through the gate. So it's a thief and a robber, which will lead you to death. 
that voice that shouts over the wall to tell you, you don't really need Jesus. You just need to be a decent person to try your best. That might sound appealing. It might sound accepting and liberating, but it's not coming through Jesus. So ultimately its intentions are not honorable. It is there to destroy you, not free you. You see, don't mishear me here. Sex is not bad. Money is not bad. Jobs are not bad. Being a decent person is not bad. I mean, it kind of goes in the phrase. But if they are pushing you away from Jesus, if they aren't being enjoyed through Jesus, bringing you closer to him, if they're not areas of life where you are able to serve Jesus, to live for him, then ultimately, however good they may be, they are thieves and robbers that will damage and destroy you. Because that's how you know that something's a thief and robber. Is that it doesn't come through the gate. It doesn't come through Jesus. Instead, it goes, I'm going to come over the wall. I'm going to come in a way other than Jesus. Now, now I don't know what your experience is. I don't know how, how well you like your life. I don't know what kind of things you're pursuing. But I can tell you that this is exactly how the world works. The world is full of things which look good and look appealing, but that really seek to steal and kill and destroy us. Let's get, more, let's get more specific than that. The world is full of people like that. There are people in the world who prim whose primary motivation is to steal from us and destroy us. Let's not live in a naive world where we think people like that don't exist and everyone's just kind of quite nice, really. Not only is that, are there some people who are like that to an extreme, there's, that's true of all of us in some, to some degree. All of us have that within us. The world isn't just full of people like that. The world is full of pressures, temptations, forces which will want to steal from us and destroy us. And, and more than that, we ourselves are full of desires, some of which will not act for our good, but rather rob us of joy and destroy us. But, but listen to the good news, because that's all true. There are thieves and robbers. There are these forces that come to kill and destroy us. But Jesus is the gate. That's why he's the gate, because those things exist. And we need something to keep them out. And as we enter through the gate, he works to keep out those things which would damage and destroy us. And to only let in those things which bring the fullness of life he promises. You see, so many people completely misunderstand Christianity here. Verse, um, I think it's verse nine, is it? Yeah, verse nine. I, I love this verse. I've been, it's probably the verse I've been thinking about most during this. You see, Jesus is not, look, just have, if you cast your eye down to verse nine, just hear what it's saying. Jesus is not a gate who's designed to keep us in. He's not a gate that like in a prison that's there to lock us in. I love verse nine. What are the sheep going to do? They're going to come in and go out. He's not that kind of gate. He's not a gate that is designed to, to pen us in. No, Jesus is a gate designed to save us from the things which want to steal from us and kill us. Jesus is a gate through which we're able to come home. Jesus is a gate through which we're able to live the full lives we so desperately desire. Jesus did not come to ruin your life, to pen you in, to control you. No, he came to protect you, to save you, to bring you into the fullness of life that you were created for, that you long to enjoy, that you find so elusive. You look at your life and you think, why can't I live the fullness of life that I want? You see, 
that the nature of the nature of sin the nature of kind of the human condition as the bible uh, describes it is that what we disbelieve that truth about god we disbelieve that he is for us and for our goods that he isn't trying to ruin our life but instead he's trying to protect us from something bad we think he's trying to keep us from something good we listen to the thieves and robbers we reject jesus way we go our own way that's the heart of sin that's what we need forgiveness for that's what we need saving from but jesus is the gate and as he says in verse 9 whoever enters through me will be saved that's what we need saving from and we're saved from it by entering through him so so that's the, the first picture of jesus in his own words jesus is the gate but Jesus carries on that, that picture and he carries it on uh, this time using a new picture. He describes himself as the good shepherd. So he picks this up in verse 11 and he says it twice. He says it in uh, verse 11 and he says it again in verse 14. I'm the good shepherd. But initially he uses this to expand really what he's already said, because just like the gate, he is when he describes himself as the good shepherd. The first thing he, he kind of points out is that. He's the one who will keep our enemies out. He will keep out those who want to kill us. Those wolves that are coming to kill us. He's the good shepherd that keeps them away. But notice the difference between the gate and the good shepherd. As the good shepherd, Jesus is not passive. No, now he's presented as the one who fights our enemies to protect us. I just want you to hear this good news. I genuinely think it's good news for all of us. I want you to hear it. Just make sure you hear this. If you don't hear anything else this evening, just make sure you hear this. Jesus is committed to fighting your enemies. And which one of us doesn't need someone more powerful than us to fight our enemies? Maybe, maybe this evening you're battling shame. Maybe your whole life has been defined by one failure, by one situation, maybe by a string of failures. And maybe you have a sense of shame that you just can't shake. It's become who you are. And maybe, you, maybe you've worked really hard to fight that. Maybe you've taught yourself to ignore it, to push it in the background, to, to not dwell on it. Maybe you've taught yourself to, 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 to deny it, to deny that it's there. Maybe you've taught yourself to speak against it. Maybe you've taught yourself to start thinking differently. And, and maybe sometimes you succeed. But maybe also sometimes you fail. And you find that sense of shame coming back. That shame comes to bring destruction. And Jesus committed to fighting it. Uh, maybe, maybe for you it's not shame. Maybe, it's, maybe there's just some sin in your life that you just feel weighed down by. Maybe you long to resist it, but you keep failing. Maybe, maybe you lose your temper. Maybe you're just an angry person. And you keep trying to keep calm, but you keep blowing up. That anger comes to damage and destroy and jesus will fight against it maybe it's not anger maybe it's your thought life maybe when you maybe you find that your thought life within your thought life you are malicious 
or vindictive. Maybe you're envious. Maybe you're selfish. And maybe you just find that keeping coming back. You, 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 you long to, to think about people well, to, lo- to want their good, but you find yourself uh, in your darkest moments wanting their ill. And you long to dispel those kind of thoughts, to banish them from your mind, but you can't ever quite seem to do it. Those thoughts will kill and destroy you. They will kill and destroy your relationships. They will kill and destroy your sense of joy. They will kill and destroy uh, you and they will rob you of life. And Jesus will therefore fight them. They are thieves and robbers that Jesus stands against. Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe you just, you, just, you just find yourself again and again falling into laziness. And maybe you know all the things about it. You know that it, it saps energy from you. You know that it makes you feel useless and dissatisfied. But every time when you're faced with an opportunity to be lazy, it just seems so appealing. You just, that, that laziness, it comes to rob you of life, not to give you life. And so Jesus will fight against it. Jesus, in this section, stands against all those things, all those things that come to kill and destroy and rob. And he comes to give. Maybe it's none of those things. Maybe it's sickness or depression or, or anything. All of these things are enemies which seek to destroy and Jesus will fight them. You see, that's his whole point here, isn't it? Yeah. He will fight them. He's not the hired hand. He's not going to run. He's not going to run away from your shame. He's not going to run away from your sin. He's not going to run away from your depression. He's not going to run away from anything because he's not a hired hand. He's not in it for the money. So don't despair. When you find yourself facing these things that you just feel, I just don't have the strength to fight it. I've tried so many times and I keep failing. Don't despair. You have a good shepherd. Don't think it will always be like that. Don't think you can't defeat it. Of course you can't defeat it any more than a sheep could defeat a wolf. Of course you can't defeat it. But you have a shepherd who will fight for you. But notice what makes this shepherd good. What makes this shepherd good is that he will fight it. And more than that, he will fight it. He will lay down his life fighting for his sheep. That's what Jesus says. He's a good shepherd who lays down his life. Jesus is not some superhero who will fight our enemies and come out unscathed. You know, the guy in a suit who comes down and everyone's getting beaten and he just stands there and just takes it on and is like, ha, 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 can't touch me. That's not Jesus. Okay, Jesus doesn't come down and fight our enemies as if he's in some way impervious to all their strength. No, Jesus is a shepherd who will fight our enemies at tremendous personal cost. Jesus is the shepherd who does not run away in the face of terrifying enemies, but who instead will stand and face them, even when it costs him his life. And of course, that is exactly what facing our enemies will cost Jesus. Jesus will stand against our shame by taking it on himself. He will take our shame. More than that, he will take your shame. And as he is humiliated on the cross in front of the crowds, as he is mocked and spat on, he will go to the cross and he will scorn the shame of it. 
so that that shame will no longer have any power. Jesus will stand against our sin by taking it on himself. He will in essence say to the sin which we fight so feebly, he'll say, here, leave him alone, come and fight me instead. And sin will. It'll throw everything it's got at Jesus. It will throw its temptation at him. It will throw the separation from God that it brings at him. It will throw the judgment it deserves at him. It will throw the death it brings at him. And Jesus will take it all. At the cross, Jesus will take our sickness as his body is broken. He will take our depression. He will take our pain and he will give his life fighting them because he is the good shepherd. This is, it, it, we're doing a series looking at Jesus in his own words. And one of the things that's been so striking in these first three that we've done, and is actually going to continue being striking as we run through it, is in each one, Jesus says, if you want to know who I am, you will see it at the cross. At the bread of life, he points us to that moment where his body is going to be broken and his blood is going to be spilled. He points us to the cross and says, that's where you know who I am. In the light of the world, he points himself to, he says, it's when I'm raised up, when I'm on the cross, that's when you'll see who I am. Here, he says the same thing. He says, if you want to know who I am, you'll see it when you see me lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus, in all of these, as he's telling us who he is in his own words, in each one of them, he's saying, ultimately, you'll see it at the cross. That's where you'll see who I am. So, we come to the final bit. What is it that makes Jesus the good shepherd? Well, he gives us two things. The first is that he lays down his life for us. But, but, but the second is, is remarkable. He says that he is the good shepherd because he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. I love how intimate Jesus' language is here. I mean, it's just, it's incredibly intimate because he says he knows his sheep like he knows the father. Now just think about that. There is no relationship more intimate in all, in, in all of existence than the relationship between God the father and God the son. They are so intimate that they are, de they, they are described as one. That's how intimate they are. That's how Jesus says that he knows his sheep. He says he knows his sheep in the same way and that they know him. That is how close Jesus is with his people. That's how close his people are to him. Now, I don't want to spend ages here, but I really want us to finish here. And I want us to just slow down and take this in because this is a truth which each one of us needs to grab hold of tonight. You see, it's all well and good to know that Jesus brings fullness of life. It's all well and good to know that he, he lays down his life for the sheep. But here's what you need to grab hold of tonight. Jesus knows you and he loves you. Just, just think about what we said tonight and think about what it means for you. 
when Jesus says he is the gate who will bring his sheep into a good pasture and keep their enemies out, he means you. That's who he means he's going to bring in through the gate to this good life in the pasture. That's who he means he's going to come in through the gate and have their enemies kept out. He means you. He didn't mean someone else. He didn't mean a different version of you. No, he saw you and he knew you. And he said, I'm going to prepare a place where that person can live the full life that they long to live. He saw you and he knew you, everything about you, better than you know yourself. He knew you and he said, I'm going to create a place for that person where they can be safe from their enemies. Where the forces which long to damage and destroy that person can no longer empty, can no longer enter. That's what Jesus means when he says he's the gate. He means he's the gate for you. Because he knows you personally. When Jesus says he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, he means for you. He didn't mean someone else. He didn't mean a different version of you. No, he saw you and he knew you. And he said, I am going to protect that person from everything that would harm them. He saw all your shame and he said, I'm going to take that. He saw all your sin and he said, and I'll take that too. He saw all your brokenness and he said, even if it cost me my life, I'm going to protect that person from that. Jesus knows you intimately and he loves you and he is committed to your good. So committed that he died for you. He knows you. He, he heard your cries. Even if those cries weren't spoken, he heard them. So today, we need to show ourselves to be his sheep. Today, if we hear his voice, we need to recognise it. If we hear Jesus saying... I'm the good shepherd who laid down my life for you. We need to hear him say that to us. Tonight, if we hear Jesus saying, I came to bring life and everything else is a a thief and a robber, we need to hear him speaking those words because that's what we do. Because he knows us and we know him. And we need to bask in the freedom, in the security, in the life which knowing him can bring. We're going we're gonna to finish by singing a song. And it's a song that sort of immediately came to my mind as we were thinking through this, that just picks up some of that tender language that Jesus has here and really helps us to understand what it means for us to say that Jesus is our good shepherd who lays down his life and for us, that Jesus is our gate. So, so we'll sing this together and then I'll pray and we'll, we'll call it a night there.